Good to see you. Tonight we're um, continuing a series that we've called Life Goals. And uh, it's predicated on the understanding that all of us at different stages of our lives will have goals for our lives. And some of those goals are going to be relational goals. And some of us are going to say, well, I'd really at some stage like to be married. And some of us will say, I really wish I wasn't married. And some of us will be going, I really at some stage would love to have kids. And some of us are saying, I wish I didn't. Or or, um, maybe never. And some of us will be going, just like some friends. Really, any friends will do, just some friends. And, and we'll have these goals for our lives. And the whole series is based on the understanding that God also has goals for our lives. And many of those goals are relational goals. He wants us to interact with one another. In fact, we cannot reflect the perfect image of God in us unless we relate one to another because God is in relationship with himself. And so we've had a look at dating, which was at times awkward. And uh, we had a look at marriage, which for other people was awkward. And tonight we're going to take a look at parenting, which I imagine for a whole bunch of people is just a bit weird. Because some of you are thinking, well, it's not me. It's maybe not going to be me, or it's certainly not me right now. But we decided that we wanted everybody to listen in to a talk about parenting for a number of reasons. Because parenting is something that's way beyond biological mom and dad stuff. It takes a community or a village, if you like, to raise a child. And it's only in the last, say, 100 years when we've been obsessed with this nuclear biological family thing. But, but way before then, and in many other cultures, we recognize it takes lots of people to raise kids and to raise the next generation. So this is going to be relevant for every single one of us. And secondly, because you, your situation may change. And at some stage, you may be either asked to give significant advice to someone who's parenting, or you might become a parent yourself. And this stuff that we're going to talk about is going to stand you in really good stead. And even if it doesn't, the kind of things we're talking about are relational advice from God, which is going to stand you in amazing stead, as far as a whole bunch of other relational situations are concerned. And thirdly, Some of you might just begin to understand your parents a bit more by listening to this tonight. And just in case you thought, Carl's up because he's a really good parent, well, not really. uh, I have four daughters, and so I should be an expert. I've done my 10,000 hours of parenting, but I'm still rubbish at a whole bunch of different things. I remember when, when Lydia, our oldest, was like five years of age, there came a scream from the bedroom at about five o'clock in the morning and it was Kezia you can always tell Kezia screamed she screamed so I yelled Lydia come here she she walks in crying I said what happened she said Lydia sorry Kezia hit her head with my hand (laughs) our kind of parenting went downhill from that point and even this week Even this week, I'm talking to two of my daughters as we're driving into Edinburgh, and I'm talking about the fact that we're parenting. And to be honest, on the way in, in the half-hour trip in, we had a blazing row. And I would like to say it's because they were irritating and annoying, which was true. But I just was tired, and I wanted to fight. Honestly, I just... 
I just wanted to provoke something, so I, I provoked it, and I pushed, and I, I, and, and I got the response. And I, and I looked across at Nikki, who's, who sits looking at me, and she has this kind of wonderful demeanor, and, and that look, you know, I've been married 24 years, she looked at me like, which said, I have five children, <laughs> and you're the worst of, of them. So I don't, I don't stand here as, as an expert, but um, a weak guy uh, who struggles with this stuff. I'm just a learner, as all of us are. And um, before we get into the passage in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to say that we have in our culture a massive crisis as far as parenting is concerned, don't we? I mean, how do, how do we bring up kids in this culture? How do we raise a generation in a culture which has turned its back on God and turned its back on the Word of God and, and, and has, you know, truth is whatever truth you want to believe. And, you know, the, the culture is so difficult to raise, to raise kids up in, and we're seeing the product of that. And the danger when you come to church is to go, whenever we talk about these kind of things, is just to go, tut, tut, oh, yeah, it's really bad out there, isn't it? It's, re- it's really bad in the world as far as parenting is concerned, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough in here as well. It's really tough for, for, for Christian parents. And I'm going to give you uh, three or four uh, uh, caricatures of, of Christian parents and see if you can identify either yourself or, or your parents or, or somebody that you wouldn't like to name. I see ambitious parents in the church. I would call them pushy parents, but that would probably get me some emails. Um, but you know the kind of parents, you, you, you maybe are them. Um, you know, my child should be captain of the school team. She's doing ballet and girls rugby, and she plays clarinet to grade eight. She's going to be six next year. She's, for, for her seventh birthday, we're getting her a pony, and we've already signed her up for all the gym carners. And, and, and have I told you about Johnny. Johnny got 21 A stars in his standard grades or, or national fives or whatever they're calling it this month. He, 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 he's, he's just amazing. Have I ta- and, and he's learning Mandarin now because we're coming out of the European Union. That would be really helpful for his future. And, and Johnny, uh, Johnny's parents and these kind of parents are the kind of parents that are always there first in the queue at parents' evening if you're a teacher. And they want to know why your child is not being pushed farther and faster. And why you're giving him bad results or her bad results? Because they are pushy, ambitious parents, and they're also performance parents. And they're comparison parents. You know, uh, they're doing it, and we should go on the holiday there because they went on holiday there, and, and they've got that for their child, and therefore you should. And, 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 oh, they're getting tutors in French for their children, so we ought to have tutors in French for our children. They're comparison parents. And, and what, what's the issue? The issue is this. The issue is a lens issue or a filter issue. These people, we, we have decided to view the way in which we parent our children through the lens of the culture around us rather than through the lens of the word of God. And we've said the, the, the ideal and the model is something out there or what they're doing to get ahead. And it's killing us. And it's killing our kids. There are the, and and I know about these because I've been there. On both sides. And and then there are the um, anxious parents. 
we could call them protectionist parents. They, these parents operate out of fear. Maybe, maybe this was your parents. And, and they wrap you up in cotton wool and they love you so much that they want to fight all your battles for you. And I totally understand that because when you, when you have a child, you just want to protect them and keep them, but you can't protect them totally. And, and these are the kind of parents that screen your friends and follow you on Facebook and become the taxi service because they don't want you to take public transport and pick you up at the end of the night at a party. And they create a sterile environment around you and around the family, which is going to brew a whole stack of problems later. And the issue is fear. And the issue is trust. You don't actually trust God enough that he loves your kids more than you love your kids. And he's more than able to handle it and I, I know about these parents because I've been them as well I used to say to my kids be careful, be careful be careful, be careful. <laughs> ridiculous and, and then I see, uh, I see maybe that this is true for some of you as well I see accidental parents who incidentally have children don't know how that happened but we have them these kids, these, these minions that come alongside us from time to time, and they get in the way of everything that we do, but, but we're going just to do our thing, and the kids, well, I don't know where they are, they, they went feral a long time ago, and they're, they're, Sunday mornings in church usually, and, and, and they're, just, they're just around, and, and they're slightly annoying, and the thing is that, that I see that happening in church. I see, I see people really committed to the church who forgot they had kids, because they're at this meeting and that meeting, and I've, I have been that guy. And, and the issue is this. The issue is that these parents don't realize that parenting is the most holy task and a godly commission. And then I see adoring parents. You may have noticed I've used all A's. It's a clever preaching tool. <laughs> Not really. Um, Adoring parents. These adoring parents, they, they worship the ground their children walk on. And I totally understand this because it's the most incredible thing in the world. But actually, it's very easy to create, create an idol of your kids and an idol of your nuclear family and spend your life trying to protect them and protect this and protect your boundaries. I see kids coming before marriages. And I see marriages breaking down because the kids come before the marriage. And it's the most ironic thing because the best thing you can give your children is to love your husband or wife passionately and to show them that you do. Because if you do that, then you create an environment where the kids learn, the children learn what love looks like and what commitment looks like, what covenant looks like. It's the most beautiful, secure place to grow children and the issue is this, you missed the order. You got the order wrong. Your kids are third. You, you, your relationship with God is first. Get it right. Your marriage is second, because if that goes pear-shaped, the kids are always going to suffer, and the kids are third. They need to know they're not fourth, or fifth, or sixth, but they need to know the order. And, and you know, here's the thing. I see ambitious parents and I see anxious parents and I see accidental parents and I see adoring parents but I see no perfect parents because there are none 
we're all messed up. We're all dysfunctional. You know, in, in that argument that we had in the car on the way, to, um, on the way into church, ironically, um, with my children, one of my children, uh, who's never knowingly under-expressing herself, uh, decided to announce that we were the most dysfunctional family in the universe. At <laughs> uh, uh, which we all ended up laughing. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, but, there, but actually, there are no perfect parents. I see, I see parents who'd like to paint the picture that they're perfect parents, but they know they're broken. They know that they're learners. We all know that we're fallen. We all know that we're having a go at possibly the most important thing and the most difficult thing we're ever going to do. Your parents messed up, yeah. Every parent in this universe messes up. Which doesn't excuse the way in which they messed up, but they will mess up. We struggle there are times when we want to just give in and give up and walk out and tap out and say, I didn't sign up for this. I honestly didn't sign up for this. Because, because kids, children will give you the greatest joy in all the world, the greatest love in all the world, and the greatest pain in all the world. Because the moment you let someone into your heart and into your life, the moment they mean everything to you is the moment they can damage you and hurt you. And believe me, they will say things and do things that will damage you and will hurt you will cause you incredible pain. There are no perfect parents. And, and so all we have left is God. All we have left is a model. All we have left is a presence. All we have left is his truth and his power. All we have left is, is the ability to stand the weight of our life and our future and our hope and our brokenness and our dreams on the Savior of the world and go, is there a chance that you could model to us what it means to be in a relationship? Is there a chance that you could model the heart of a father, the love of a mother, the boundaries of a parent? so that we can begin to get this thing right because it's the most beautiful thing and the hardest thing. And so turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That was a very long introduction. And uh, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. And as you do so, as, as you do so I want you to relax. If, you, if you're a parent, there, I'm, I'm, this morning I asked if people were parents, they were like 90% of the room. If you're a parent, just put, put your hand up, fess up. Okay, now here's the thing. As we're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you just get to relax and chill out because there are no perfect parents allowed in this church. And, and you just get to breathe. You get to breathe. Uh, to my shame, I've, I have lost it more times with my girls than I care to imagine and sometimes they didn't deserve it. There were other times, let me tell you. But sometimes they just didn't deserve it. I was just cranky and tired. I, I have missed some important performances of ballet or musicals or sport that I should have been at because I said I was too busy. I wasn't too busy. I just, if I'm honest, prioritized something over that. Because actually, we, almost none of us are too busy for these things. We just decide to do something and not, and not the other thing. I've, I have, um, I've listened to them talk about things that have been painful for them and I've tried to fix it when all they wanted me to do was listen. That's what I do. I try and fix things. I'm not very good at fixing things, but I try and fix things because I'm a dad. That's what dads try and do. I, I found it really difficult to adjust 
to the different stages of development. And I find boyfriends just, well, I'm not in favor of boyfriends. <laughs> if I'm honest, any boyfriends. You could be the most perfect boyfriend in the world. I'm just not in favor of you. I just, I just want you to... And that's all my dysfunction. But I'm not in favor of you. And uh, <laughs> I was going to be flippant. Don't be flippant, Carl. Don't be flippant. So, so just as we turn here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, why don't you just whisper to yourself? Listen to this. I did this this morning. Why don't you whisper to yourself, I am a dreadful parent, but I'm a learner. I am. There are times when I am a dreadful parent, but I'm a learner. Because actually that's truth, isn't it? There are times when you're just dreadful as a parent. But if you're a learner, then you stand a good chance because that's what a disciple is, someone who's learning in the life of Jesus and you just want to grow in this stuff. So, so take the heat off for a bit and listen up because God is the God of the second chance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. We're just going to deal with two verses which I think are going to help us understand something of the way in which God parents and how we can parent like God. You want to parent like God? Listen up. So Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica and he's writing into a culture where kids, children, were treated like um, uh, they, well, they were owned. It was like um, something you owned. It was a possession. You had a child. They were a possession. They had no rights and they were treated as possessions. And Paul starts to speak about fathers and child and children and how fathers should relate to children and he has in mind the fact that God is a father and one of the great uh, names that God is given in the scriptures is that he's the father yes he's all powerful he's almighty and he's ever present and he can do anything uh, but he's, his name is dad and he starts to talk about how you can be a father like God and he says this for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. What he's saying is the best way I knew to lead you was like God. I tried to be like God to you. He's a, he, God is a mother. He's the perfection of motherhood. He's a father. He's the perfection of fatherhood. And, and I tried to, to lead you like that. And I want you to extrapolate tonight something of the character of God and, and apply it to, to parenting. Two, thing, two thoughts as we unpack this. Firstly, God is the model and God is the goal. God is the model. What do I mean by that? What I mean is when I, whenever I, I talk to young parents, I, I see them so often caught in a cycle, a vicious cycle, of repeat and react. In other words, they, they, they're caught in a cycle where the, 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 the frame of reference they have for their parenting is their parents' parenting. And either they love their parents' parenting and they just repeat it and say, well, we did this and we went on holiday here and we, we bought a house in that area and we sent our kids to this school and we did, did, we, we did that and that's an amazing thing. And their parents become the authority or they hated it or they found it difficult and they just react against it and their, their parents were passive and so they over-parent. You know, you know, over-parenting is, you know, kind of 
Don't worry about it. But, you know, that, that, that kind of whole deal where you just either repeat or you react. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, no, 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 you misunderstand. God is the model, not your parents. The plumb line, the, the, the place where you can stand, the definitive truth, the authoritative truth is God, not what your parents did, good or bad. That, that's, you, you, you're not reacting or repeating the stuff that you imbibed, that you had. You're responding to God, his character, his grace, his mercy. You're trying to be like him. He is the ground of your parenting. He's the model, but he's also the goal. Look at verse 11, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. That's the goal. Listen, that's an amazing thought. The goal of your parenting, if you're a parent, is not that your kids go to a great university and get a great job and live in a nice house and get married well. God's doing something bigger than that. The goal of your parenting is that your children live lives worthy of of God, that they look like Jesus, that they love like Jesus, that they build relationships like Jesus builds relationships. I'm going to raise worshipers. I'm going to, I want to raise children who cooperate with what God is doing in this world. I want to raise children who hear from God. I want to do way beyond just get some good education and go to a great school and get a good job and, 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 and have a good uh, marriage. Because although I want those things, there's something way beyond that. We're raising people who live lives worthy of God. He is the goal. And, and, and out there, that doesn't make any sense. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I think it's fundamentally important for our culture that that out there and sometimes in here, you would believe that the greatest ambition that people have with their children is to get them to work really hard for their standard grades or their nat fives and not do anything and not hang out with anybody during that period of time, that dreadful year. And then the next year, they can get into the right hires courses and then they can work really hard and get great hires so they can get a good offer from a fantastic university so they can go to a great university and work really hard at their education and so they can get a really good job at the end of the university which pays good money so that when they meet someone who is really, really good for them, they can buy a house in a catchment area of a great school so they can raise children that can do really hard well at National Fives and they can get hires. When they get hires, they can go to a great university and then they can meet somebody who's compatible with them and they can get a really good job so they can move back into the same area and get a house semi-detached with a monoblock drive. God is, God is doing something bigger than that. And, and those things are not unimportant, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying don't work hard. And I'm not saying don't encourage your kids to get ahead. But I'm saying there is something bigger. I'm doing something bigger as a parent than just helping my kids get through university and find life partners. I'm trying to help them live lives worthy of God. And in fact, I hope they delay the marriage thing because I don't have any savings. That's going to just cripple me. (laughs) Can you imagine four daughters? (laughs) Not funny at all. Um, Not funny at all. What does it look like? What does it look like 
to look like God as you parent? It's a great question, isn't it? What does it look like to look like God as you parent? Let's study in these two verses. There's a process here. There are three words. The three words that Paul uses, interestingly, all come from the same family root. They're all intrinsically connected one with another. In other words, I think he's saying you really can't have one of these words without all three of these words. So, so let's hang around all three of these words and let's see what Paul is saying. He says, encourage, comfort, and urge. That's what you're going to need. You're going to need encouragement, comfort, and urging. Encourage. The Greek word is the word parakaleo. And it literally means to stand beside and exhort. In other words, you're standing beside your child while they're playing sport and and they're doing great. You're going, come on. And when they're doing badly, you're going, come on. And you're saying, pick yourself up. You can do better. You're amazing. We love you so much. We're so proud of you. In the hard times, and in the, you're, you're encouraging them. You're breathing courage into them. You're standing. I've got your back. I'm at your shoulder. I'm for you. Whatever else the world throws at you, I am for you. Encourage them. Help them become the best version of them that is possible. How do you encourage? Three things. Once again, I'm not teaching out of a high place, because I don't get these things right. Firstly, be, be, be present. I, I actually thought for, for maybe one second that it would be a really good idea to interview my girls tonight. <laughs> uh, that one second passed very quickly. But if I was interviewed by girls tonight, I think they would say, yeah, this is an issue. This, this was an issue. Be present. It is true that your kids don't need to do everything. Please don't get on the gravy train where they have to play every sport under the sun. They have to do a foreign language. They need extra tuition. They have to play four instruments and they're never home. They're never having fun. They're never having space. You never get a chance to talk and they are stressed out and seeing a doctor by the age of 12. Because honestly, that's, that's where we've got to. They don't need to do everything, but they do need you to be present. So when you're home, turn off your phone, if you can. And turn off your tablet and put your laptop away. I wasn't very good at this because I was always writing a talk. I was always planning something. I was always speaking to somebody else. And I did okay, but I didn't do great. And sit down and eat together and turn the TV off. Because you just need to talk. And you don't need to talk about anything particularly highbrow. You just need to find out what's going on in each other's lives. And you need to talk about the things that are real. So talk about money. Because how are your kids ever going to understand about money if you don't talk about money? Talk about, talk about relationships. Talk about the things that are annoying you. Just talk. Be present with them. You have no idea of the security that you being present at home creates for growing up. Be present. Secondly, uh, show them you love them. Now be, be careful here because this, this could get odd, but phys- physical touch is really important. If you love them, hug them. Really. Make sure they like you hugging them. But um, if, if you love them, show them. You love them. Do you know, uh, un, unexpressed love 
can be just as damaging as expressed non-love. In, in other words, you know, if, if they kind of get that, they, that you love them, but you never show it in any way, shape, or form, it's not really going to go anyplace good. Show them you love them, and then and tell, tell them you love them. Express it. My, my grandfather, I don't know whether it was, um, I, I love my granddad, and he was 92 when he died, um, and I don't know if this is true, but I suspect that he never told anybody throughout the whole of his life that he loved them. I don't know whether that was, um, it may not be true, but that's the impression that I got. I don't know whether that was a, um, a generational thing, a, an age and stage, a British thing, or, and or just a personality thing, but actually I know it was a damaging thing. I know that to have to guess, kind of think that it's probably true, that somebody loved, you know, to... to, to you, when my grandfather would say it was okay, it meant it was flipping brilliant. <laughs> you know? Tell them you love them. And, and, I, and I, I overdo it. I know I overdo it. You know, I want to tell my kids every day that I love them and that I'm proud of them. And they, they will joke with me and, and I'll say to them, you know what? And they'll say, oh, yeah, you love us. You're proud of us. <laughs> but actually, I'd rather that. I'd rather they know that. There's absolutely no doubt of the fact that I love them tell them. And, and beyond parenting, if you love someone, tell them you love them. Don't be weird. <laughs> Don't wait till ministry time and sidle up to the girl you really fancy and tell them you love them, because that's odd. But express your love for one another. Express your love. Be present. Show them you love them. Tell them you love them. Second word is the word comfort. It comes from the same root. And, and comfort, the picture the pitch language here is create a home, create a safe place where you can have dangerous conversations. Create a place where you can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It does not matter how big or small your house is, whether you own it or don't own it, how tidy it is or untidy it is. What matters is it's a safe place where comfort can be expressed and, and y- people younger in life and younger in faith can grow up in life and faith. Have, create a safe place to have great arguments. Sometimes I think we think that dysfunctional families... Our families that have arguments, no, often it's the other way around. You, you need to be able to express safe places to express how you feel. Create an environment where it's, it's not just acceptable, but it's almost encouraged for you to fail. Have a go at stuff. Much rather they, my kids failed under my roof than failed out and beyond because they never had a chance to fail because we were a perfectionist family. Comfort, comfort and urge. Urge and motivate our children to live lives worthy of God. Now, what does urge mean? It, 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 of course, it means challenge. It's, it's the flip side to, 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 um, to support. Challenge them. Of course, challenge them. Push them. Provoke them. Of course. Of course, it involves challenge and of course, it involves discipline. If you have no challenge and you have no discipline, you don't have love. Because love involves challenge and discipline. It, invo- it, it involves creating frameworks for, for people where there are consequences. If you step outside of the frameworks, because you can be certain that, that outside of the family and in, in the world, there are consequences if you stuff up and fail and mess up. 
Of course it does. But, but here, interestingly, the language here is really interesting. The Greek word in our text that's translated urge is a form of the verb maturio, which means to bear witness. It's the, the noun form of this word is where we get our English word martyr. So how do we bear witness to our children to live a life worthy of God? Well, we embody with our lives what it means to live a life worthy of God. In other words, our kids are looking at us and going, we want to see what it looks like to live a life worthy of God. We're not interested in what comes out of here so much. We're much more interested in what we see in your life. We're looking for an example. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be personal. It has to be an example of, of what it means to live a life worthy of God. And it may, you may make mistakes, and that's okay, but because we're all broken people. But we, we want to see. If, the, if your kids never see you pray, then how are they going to learn to pray? If, 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 if you never can express yourself in worship, it's unlikely your kids will ever be able to express themselves in worship because they're getting their example from you. Well, that's what you do when you come to worship God. If, if you never, ever talk about your finances, how are your kids going to learn about how to do finances? If they never see you argue together and, and make up together, how are they ever going to work out how to do that kind of social skill? They need to see, if, if, if they only ever hear you speak negatively about people, they're going to get the impression that that's what it looks like to live a life worthy of God. You're the model for them of God. Who is the model? Wow. Listen to Titus. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy this is really awesome stuff. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. In other words, there are people listening in. There are people watching your life and your testimony and your doctrine and how you live this stuff out. And how it goes for you is, is, is pretty much how it's going to go for them. Watch your life. Do good stuff. Guys, this is serious. And this is why it's so impossible to be a parent. Because the bar is, isn't it? Bar is so high. I mean, we're trying to parent like God. We're trying to live lives worthy of God so our kids might live lives worthy of God. We're trying to do it in a culture which is totally against all that stuff. <laughs> how in the how in the world? You know, whenever we do a dedication service, I say two things. I say the same thing every single one, hundreds of them. I say this. I say when when this couple bring this child into the house of God, they're saying this child does not belong to us; belongs to God. We, we just have it as a gift for us on loan from God. We don't own this child. We just get to care for them. We get to love them. We get to provoke them. We get to train them. We get to model for them. But, but we are giving this child back to God. That's amazing, isn't it? This child is, we're just stewarding this stuff. But I also say something else. I'm sure some people don't believe me until they parent. I say, how many of you know that this is the hardest job in the world? How many of you know this is the hardest job in the world? It'll break your heart. It's totally brilliant, but you will give yourself for these children. That's exactly how it should be. And then on top of that, we layer, live lives worthy of God. How? How can you do this? The only way I have worked out 
To be able to do it is to let God parent you. Let the Word of God and the Spirit of God parent you. It's impossible, but we have a father who is also a mother, who's more than an example. He's our encouragement. He's our comfort. He's our champion. He's, he's standing alongside us going, come on, Carl, you can do this. Pick yourself up. You can do this. I'm creating an environment for you, not only to prosper and flourish, but for your children to prosper and flourish. I'm the model and the example. Follow me. I can live a life worthy. Just get in tune with me. And Father God is here tonight. And I think he says, ask me for divine help. And we can do this thing. Jesus, this is really cool. Jesus teaching on prayer, and you'll remember it, you'll find it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Which one of you fathers, Jesus says, love the way he teaches. Which one of you fathers, if your child asked for bread, you'd give him a snake? I mean, it's... Pretty ironic stuff. Which, which one? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, if your child asked you for a good thing, you wouldn't give them a bad thing, a dangerous thing. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? How much more? The cool thing is this the Holy Spirit's name and chief. Modus operandus is paraclete. Same root word as Paul is using in this passage. In other words, he's the comforter, he's the encourager, and he's the urger. He's the one who can make all the difference in the world. And he's here tonight. He says, if you want, I'll come. And I'll make it possible for you to live lives worthy and for you to raise up kids who live lives worthy. Let's pray. we're all broken and we all mess up and God is the God of the second chance and the paraclete is here and he offers himself to encourage to comfort and to urge us into life and godliness and some of us the example that we had of parenting was, was not good and hurt us and damaged us. I'm not minimizing that, but the paraclete is here. And he comes to encourage, comfort, and urge us 
says, that is not the model. Change the way you think. He is the model. And some of us, even as I've been speaking, have a growing appreciation of our parents. Because they were just ordinary, broken, fallen human beings doing the best they could, messing up like all of us. And maybe the take-home message tonight is that you need to go home and write them a letter and tell them how much you love them and how appreciative you are of them. And maybe in your heart you need to forgive them for some stuff they stuffed up with and got wrong. And the paraclete is here. And he comes to encourage, to comfort, and to urge us. And the greatest thing that we can do is to give our lives to him and to allow him to use us to raise a generation of people who live lives worthy of him.